discussing the uh, various disturbing attitudes that are the causes of our unsatisfactory experience. So we're going into depth about the second of the four noble truths. And we finished talking about the six root disturbing attitudes. And then last week we started briefly going over the 20 secondary or auxiliary disturbing attitudes. And if you don't remember that, the disturbing attitude that made you forget is coming up in this teaching. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so we talked about different ones uh, last time. And I think it's really helpful to uh, try and recognize these in our daily life. Because otherwise, just coming to teaching and you hear a list and you say, oh, yes, yes, that sounds familiar. But then you don't look over your notes, you know, kind of uh, notes get thrown in the back seat of the car, the top shelf, the bookshelf, or you know. And until the next session, then mm, nothing really sinks in, nothing really gets transformed. But if you... Uh, take whatever we've gone over and uh, try and recognize these different mental factors in your life, then you get a whole new way of understanding yourself. And so for those people who feel that they're out of touch with themselves, that they don't know who they are, this is the way to get in touch with who you are. You know, it's a practice of being mindful, of being aware of what's going on in my mind. My mind. Okay. So we're going to uh, continue on with these uh, secondary disturbing attitudes. The next one is called lack of self-respect. It's sometimes translated also as shamelessness, but I don't like that translation at all. So to understand what lack of self-respect is, we have to understand what self-respect is, and then it's the lack of it, okay? Um, so self-respect is a mental factor which, because of personal conscience or for the sake of our own dharma practice, we abstain from acting negatively. Okay? So uh, it's uh, self-respect is the kind of attitude where, um, let's say you've taken a precept not to drink, you go over for Christmas dinner, everybody's drinking, but you say to yourself, oh, I have a precept not to drink, and this is my own, an issue of my own personal integrity that I'm not going to break my word and go against what I've already decided to be uh, something to abandon. Yeah. So out of a matter of personal conscience, um, out of a feeling of, of self-respect for our own integrity, our own ethical integrity. Okay, so it's a particular use of the word self-respect here. So this is sometimes when they translate it as shame, you know, a sense of shame that you're not going to act negatively, um, you know, because, because, you know, of care for yourself. But the word shame in English is so loaded and it has so many different meanings that I think it's just too easy that that, term gets misunderstood if it's translated here. So I prefer to use self-respect. Yeah? Because to me, 
you know, when we're now we're talking about the positive quality, you know, like out of a, um, a feeling of your own personal dignity about how you want to act and how you don't want to act, then you abandon acting negatively when situations present themselves. So lack of self-respect is the mental factor that doesn't avoid negativities out of, you know, a sense of um, personal conscience or care for your own practice. Yeah. So this is the mental factor that when, um, you know, you've taken the eight precepts for the day, and so you have one of the precepts is not to eat after lunch. So this is the mental factor that when your friend says, huh, what are you taking those, you know, you took those eight precepts, but look, you know, there's pizza here for dinner. We're all eating pizza. you got to eat pizza. And you just go right ahead and eat pizza, you know, not at all caring about your own dignity for having taken precepts. Yeah? Okay, is this clear? Yeah? So this is, you know, a real interesting mental factor. This one and the next one that we're going to talk about. Um, because after you do, you know, like, you know how sometimes we check up at the end of the day or, um, you know, sometimes we come to look at what we've done in the past and we go, wow, what... I, at the time I was doing that, I knew I was doing something crazy, but I just didn't do anything about it at the time. Yeah, that happened to you? <laughs> then, that's the time, to, that's when you'll understand what this one is. Because this, you know, this one was functioning at that time. Yeah? Because if the opposite of this one was functioning, if the sense of self-respect was functioning, we wouldn't have gotten involved. We would have somehow been able to, you know, not just go with a negative flow. Yeah, going with the flow is not always certain flows to go with, certain ones not. <laughs> okay. Now, the next one. It's called inconsideration for others. So here, again, to understand inconsideration for others, we have to understand consideration for others. And it's like this one of self-respect in that um, we abandon negative actions, but whereas self-respect abandon the negative actions because of a feeling for our own integrity and our own Dharma practice, here we abandon negative actions um, because of how it's going to affect others. Okay? So, inconsideration for others is not caring at all about how your behavior affects others, and so not abandoning negative actions because they might be harmful to others. Yeah? So this is the one that's operating when, um, you know, you get so angry that you tell somebody off and you don't really care that you're hurting their feelings. Yeah. Or this is the one that's operating where um, you know you know um, you, you're with people who don't have a lot of faith in the Dharma and they're kind of getting to the, know the Dharma through looking at you, and you just kind of go bananas and act any old which way, you know that really makes other people lose faith in Buddhism. Yeah, and so. Um, I think this is this is probably, you know, even more pronounced once you take ordination because then people really know you're Buddhist, you know, and they, they kind of look at you and when you just kind of, um, you know, you're going any which way, then a lot of people 
kind of they lose faith in the Dharma because of one person's personal behavior. That isn't a good reason for other people to lose faith. You know, they, it would be better if they looked deeper at the teachings, but the fact is that they do sometimes. So this is just not caring about how our actions um, affect other people. Yeah. Or even acting dishonestly at work and not caring, you know, whether it affects, you know, your students or your colleagues or your employers or your, you know, whoever else or your employees. Not caring at all about how our own, um, you know, unwholesomeness influences other people, either harming them directly or making them lose faith in, um, in humanity. Yeah. So you can see this one of, of lack of self-respect and inconsideration for others. They go hand in hand in the sense that they're both involving in not, you know, a lack of self-restraint. Now, the thing is that when we're understanding these, it's real important. Um, for example, when we're understanding the opposite, self-respect and consideration for others, that we don't get them mixed up with, um, because self-respect and consideration for others are positive qualities that we should cultivate. Okay? Here I'm talking about the negative ones. But the positive ones are things, we, they're virtuous qualities we should cultivate. But we have to make sure that we don't confuse them with things that are very similar. So self-respect can sometimes be confused with a sense of pride. You know, I wouldn't act like that, you know. So therefore, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie because I wouldn't act like that, or I'm not gonna take drugs because I wouldn't, you know, this kind of haughtiness and being ethical, but not really because you value ethics, but because you're, you're really haughty. Yeah, those are two. These are two different attitudes: the haughtiness and the self-respect. Okay. So abandoning negative negativities out of the sense of pride and haughtiness. You know, you have a good outcome, but your mind is, is a disturbing attitude. But when you abandon the negativity out of genuine self-respect and not wanting to, you know, denigrate your, your own sense of ethics, then that's a positive quality. Is this clear? Yeah. And so same with consideration for others. That's a positive quality, but it's very different from attachment to reputation. And sometimes, because um, attachment to reputation is a negative one, and sometimes we won't act negatively, not because we care, you know, we, we don't care beans at all about the other people, but because we're really attached to our reputation, yeah? So we act ethically, we act kindly to other people, not because we care about them, but because we want other people to think well of us, yeah? So that is a negative attitude. I mean, it it, it, it has... The result maybe is, is somewhat slight, you know, slightly better than dumping our garbage on somebody, but it's, it's very deceptive and, uh, the mind is, is quite attached to reputation. But with consideration for others, we are, uh, genuinely caring about them. Yeah. So whenever we, we act negatively, one of these two was involved, the lack of self-respect or the inconsideration for others. Yeah, they're behind there. Then the next one is called dullness, or it's also 
sometimes translated as foggy-mindedness. Hmm? So this is a mental factor which having caused the mind to lapse into darkness and thereby become insensitive, does not comprehend the object clearly as it is. Okay? So this is the mental factor that starts operating uh, as soon as you sit down and relax in class. <laughs> you know? And it's like... <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, I'm so tired. Why doesn't she shut up? Um, that's the one that's operating, you know, when this is going on. Or when you're sitting down to meditate and you kind of, you know, start, the mind starts getting thick. Yeah, it starts getting like, you know, lima bean soup. It's just, <laughs> yeah, that that's this one. Okay, so it's it's makes the body and the mind heavy. It makes it difficult to understand things. And then if it goes uncontrolled, you very soon start snoring. Okay? <laughs> so um, this is, you know, this one comes in regular life. This one also comes when we sit down and meditate. You know, it's not the same as laxity in meditation. Laxity is a lot more subtle. You know, when you have the calm abiding teachings, laxity is is a, a lack of clarity of mind, a lack of the intensity of the clarity of the mind. But this foggy mindedness is much grosser. You know, this is the mind is really thick, insensitive, not taking things in. Yeah. No, because ignorance is, I mean, this is similar to ignorance, okay? But ignorance is just a um, an unawareness of the nature of the object. And this is an actual, I mean, it's much grosser, I think, than ignorance. Yeah, definitely related, but a much grosser kind of thing. Because you can be perfectly wide awake and alert, but you're still grasping an inherent existence. In fact, you can be very excited and grasping an inherent existence, which is ignorance. But this foggy-mindedness, is there's, there's this certain heaviness, dullness, thickness, um, obscuration of the mind so that, you know, things just don't go in. Yeah? And, you, you know, you're just nodding off almost. Uh-huh. Almost, yeah. Yeah. And there's a very interesting kind of this. You brought up being under sedated. Um, that sometimes happens you might be completely wide awake. But as soon as you sit down to listen to teachings, and this especially happens when you're sitting in the front row in front of a high lama. <laughs> You just cannot keep your eyes open. You may have drunk two cups of coffee. I've seen it so many times. I've experienced it myself. You may have drunk coffee. You've been wide awake before. But there's some kind of, it comes up, I think, because of very heavy negative karma, so that you can't even stay awake during teachings. Yeah? And so you'll see it sometimes. You know, well, wait, you know, when you see the big public teachings, and people will be following us, you know, kind of, <laughs> you know, 
Yeah? <laughs> you know. <laughs> okay, then the next one is called agitation, or sometimes it's it's translated as excitement. So this is kind of the, the opposite. This is a mental factor which through, well, it's not exactly the opposite, but it's similar to an opposite. Um, it's a mental factor which through the force of attachment does not allow the mind to rest solely upon a virtuous object that scatters it here and there to many other objects that are much nicer than whatever the virtuous object is that you're trying to concentrate on. Okay? So this is the mental factor. Yeah, this is this is the pizza mind. Okay. <laughs> this is the one where you're sitting here, you know, and you're trying to meditate. You don't have the, the foggy mindedness. Your mind isn't thick, you know, your mind is awake and you're trying to watch the breath or you're trying to visualize the Buddha, but you get pizza, you get chocolate, you get your boyfriend or girlfriend, you get your paycheck, you get the beach, you get something else, you know, that is an object of attachment. Yeah? So this is the one. I mean, it comes very, very often during the day, doesn't it? Yeah, very often when we're trying to meditate. Yeah? So it's not just distraction or wandering. That's another one we're going to get to in a few minutes. But this is a particular one that makes you leave the virtuous object to go after an object of attachment. Yeah? So it's the one, it happens when you're listening to teachings and you start thinking about how nice it'll be to get home, to go home and have a cup of tea and go to bed. You know, that's object of attachment, your bed. Yeah, your cup of chamomile or your cup of hot chocolate or miso if you're being healthy. <laughs> but that's, that becomes object of attachment. And so instead of listening here to teachings, the mind is thinking about something that seems much more pleasurable. Yeah, or you're, you know, you're sitting and trying to meditate and the mind wanders to something else that would be more pleasurable. That's this one. Yeah, agitation or excitement. So this is why, you know, we have to spend a lot of time really contemplating the disadvantages of objects of attachment and trying to see their nature because if not, this one just like runs rampant in the mind. Yeah, runs rampant. You could be at work even. I mean, actually at work you're not necessarily concentrating on a virtuous object. I mean, looking at your computer screen or whatever. <laughs> this is the one that takes you away from a virtuous object, but even a neutral object like your computer screen, it's the one that makes you, you know, think about lunchtime or think about what you're going to do on the weekend, or, you know. Okay. Now, the next one, oh, this one nobody here has. Uh, it's called laziness. Uh, and this is a mental factor which having firmly grasped an object offering temporary happiness. Do you know that one? And the mind has firmly grasped an object offering temporary happiness. Either does not wish to do anything virtuous, or though all wishing to is weak-minded. Hmm? Yeah? So this is the mind which, uh, you know, is grabbed on to something which seems infinitely nicer 
than meditating or listening to teachings or taking the eight precepts at five o'clock in the morning or doing noon a or going on retreat or, you know, whatever it is. The mind that, that's found something else that's much more interesting than that. And so just doesn't want to get engaged in doing whatever virtuous or even Part of your mind says, well, actually, you know, I kind of should. I mean, I do have a perfect human rebirth. I should use it. Um, <laughs> just doesn't kind of carry anything out. Yeah? So there's different kinds of laziness. You know, there's a kind of laziness where we're just attached to hanging out and lying around and going to sleep. You know, the mind wants to sleep in. Okay. So there the object offering temporary happiness is sleep, you know, bed, <laughs> yeah? Um, so there's that kind of one that just wants to sleep. Then there's the laziness of being very busy, yeah? So in Buddhism, when you're very busy running after objects of attachment, that's a form of laziness because your mind is very busy following things that offer temporary happiness. Yeah, you go to work to get your paycheck, and you go out to eat, and then you go drinking, or you smoke some dope, and you go do this, and you go do that, and you go, yeah, and the life is extremely busy. Yeah, no time on your calendar. Yeah. Uh, and that's a form of laziness, because lots of time on the calendar to do anything but dharma. Hmm? Uh, and then the third kind of laziness is um, a very interesting one. This is called... Um, discouragement or putting yourself down, feeling inadequate. Isn't that interesting? Low self-esteem, feeling of inadequacy is a kind of laziness. It's a very interesting way, I think, to look at it. Because what does it do? We sit there and tell ourselves, you know, we recite the mantra, I can't do this, it's too difficult, I just don't have what it takes, I can't concentrate anyway, I'm so bad. I tried it before and it doesn't work, you know, the self-pity mind. And so we don't make any effort to do anything wholesome or virtuous because we're so busy convincing ourselves that we can't. It's a form of laziness. I think that's quite interesting, you know. I mean, that because in psychology nowadays, you know, there's all this talk about self-esteem and we go into it and analyze it and all this stuff. And I think it's real interesting to just look at it as a form of laziness. I mean, it gives us a whole different perspective, you know. Then we don't need to just to go in and analyze our past and, you know, my first grade teacher told me I wrote my B's and they look like D's, so I, f- I felt incompetent since then. And, you know, you know, and analyzing everything. But just to look and, and recognize this attitude of putting myself down, it's just being lazy. It's just keeping me from doing something wholesome, which is going to make me happy. So if it keeps me from doing something that's going to make me happy, who needs it? Yeah? I mean, it's kind of a different way of approaching it. I don't think it could be interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it's like when you look at that, that all this bad self-image that we keep telling ourselves acts as an obstacle to doing virtuous things that is the cause of happiness. So if it's something that just becomes an obstacle in our life, 
for the creation of, of happiness, then who needs to believe it? Who needs to follow it? Who needs to dive in after it? Yeah? It's like, you know, when somebody comes to, to rob your house, if they knock at your door and say, I've come here to rob your house, you say, who needs you? Yeah? You know, you don't sit there and analyze where it came from and, you know, it's just, you know, it's just you kick the guy out, you know, I know what your trick is, get out of here. So it's, you know, I think another way of dealing with with issues of self-esteem is just to recognize that they create big blocks for our own happiness. And being very pragmatic, like we Americans always try to be, um, we just say, well, doesn't serve any good pur- purpose, so um, that's it. Leave it behind. I don't need to keep thinking like that. I'm not saying that analyzing is bad. I think that can be quite useful, yeah. But I think it's it's interesting to have another approach, which is just like this attitude's totally impractical, yeah, completely impractical to just keep telling yourself how lousy we are. Okay, then another the next one is called non-faith <laughs> or non-confidence. Okay, um, so this is a mental factor that since it causes one to have no belief in or no respect for what is worthy of confidence um, is the complete opposite of confidence or faith. Yeah. So something that's worthy of confidence, that's worthy of respect, that's worthy of um, appreciation when this mental factor is in our mind, we don't appreciate or acknowledge or have faith and confidence in any of those things. Yeah. So this is applying specifically to, for example, Buddha Dharma Sangha or past and future rebirth or the functioning of cause and effect. So like a lack of confidence that these things even exist or a lack of appreciation for the qualities of the Buddha a lack of appreciation for the Dharma path and its ability to lead us out of all of our confusion and pain. Um, a lack of confidence in the Buddha or in our Dharma teachers that they know what they're talking about. Uh, you know, lack of confidence in the path. Um, disbelief in cause and effect, just, you know, like not having confidence in it. Okay, so this is some kind of dark, heavy mind that um, I think we've all had a considerable amount of, at least I know of in my past. This one has been very active. Uh, yeah, so it just kind of blocks out anything that is, is really worthy of confidence or it puts it down or it criticizes it. Or it just, you know, it, it's the mental factor that makes you skin, cynical and skeptical in a really negative way. You know, there's a kind of skepticism that is curiosity, that's quite good, but the kind of skepticism that is just, I'm not going to believe anything anyway, you know, or the, the cynicism or the unwillingness to listen to new ideas. Yeah, that's, this one's operating at that time. So it makes a big, big block in our practice because when we when we don't have any faith or confidence, we have no inspiration. Yeah, what makes you want to practice is like 
Um, maybe you meet somebody who's practicing and they seem like such a nice person and you think, wow, that's incredible. Look at this person. I could become like that. So your mind gets lighthearted, you know, kind of light and buoyant and you want to practice. Or you hear about the qualities of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and you think, wow, that's incredible. I'd like to be like that. You know, you appreciate that. Or um, you hear about cause and effect and your mind gets concerned and you think, wow, I can really, you know, take some control and responsibility in my life if I follow cause and effect. So when you have this kind of faith or confidence, the mind has energy, it has inspiration, it wants to do something positive. But with this lack of faith or this non-faith, the mind is just, you know, like black, you know, it's just a kind of no life to it. Um, You don't believe in anything. And we see this is so, you know, prevalent all over the society. And so it just makes people feel that their life is meaningless and there's no sense to anything. There's nothing to trust. There's no direction to go to. And then, of course, when one has that attitude, you know, you can't do anything. Because even there might be like a whole lot of incredible things around you that you can do, your mind's so convinced that none of that exists that you can't see it. Can you identify that one? Yeah, that 